This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and welcome, I'm Jake Cantor. Coming up this week, two members of the TV Illuminati up sticks. Uh, we'll analyse the departures of Danny Cohen and Stuart Murphy. Later in the programme, there'll be a preview of ITV's new tea time drama, Jekyll and Hyde, and sandwiched between that lot, an interview with the producer of ITV2's new genre-bending sketch show, Glitchy. You'd be mad to go anywhere. Joining me in the studio is a brace of broadcast boys. Uh, we have editor Chris Curtis and international editor Peter White. Morning, Jake. Morning. It's like being in the office, isn't it? Yeah. You've just done a, quite an exciting interview, haven't you? Yeah, I spoke to Shane Smith, who is the founder and chief executive of Vice Media, um, the the hot disruptor in the uh, in the media world at the moment. Um, he told me all about their linear TV plans. They want to launch 12 channels across Europe and one in the UK particularly, and he said they want to launch a free-to-air channel. He said he had deals on the table from all of the major networks and operators, um, but he was leaning free-to-air, so he said he wants to launch next year. He said, like Iran, we're doing secret testing. Sounds quite exciting. They're going to double their production presence in the UK. They've already started making some linear shows. He mentioned one called Gaycation with Ellen Page. Um, there's a few more. They're doing their upfronts this, this afternoon in London, so they're going to kind of unveil a few more and show some clips. So, yeah, it's uh, pretty exciting. So the TV industry is going to be starting so, so well, to get worried, so I think. If, uh, if people haven't sat up and taken notice already, they should do now, shouldn't they? Absolutely. I mean, I think they're going to partner with one of the traditional. He, he mentioned, I mean, not that they had necessarily deals, but he talked about the likes of Channel 4 and, and ITV. Um, so I can imagine one of those being a partner. He said, we're going to decide next week. Um, he said, it's not really about the money. I think they've got plenty of money. It's about the, the deal that gives him the most freedom. So um, it'd be interesting to see. He said, yeah, it's coming shortly. So, uh, and they're uh, not beholden to their relationship with A&E Networks? No, he said they're going to use the relationship with A&E in the US. That's They're, they're going to launch the, the channel in the States. Um, he didn't quite give details, but he said they're going to be the partner. Um, but he said internationally, he said A&E recognised that local partners, regional partners, are probably better. And given that they own a stake in the company, it's it's probably better for them if, uh, if the company sort of grows and, and becomes successful um, rather than necessarily uses the A&E. Uh, but he said that, you know, in certain places they might use them, in certain places they won't. It depends on uh, on the certain deals that are being offered. Chris, this is fascinating, isn't it? I think what's interesting is Vice has been a challenger brand thus far. You know, when I think of Vice, I think of sort of gonzo kind of content. And all of a sudden they're going to come up against something in the UK called the Ofcom Broadcasting Code, which is going to be fun. Because, <laughs> you know, if you think about uh, the Debt Collector, which is a brilliant doc they sort of shot up on the mean streets of Manchester that, frankly, couldn't have been on TV... And you think about some of their news uh, coverage and you wonder whether, you know, the health and safety regulations and, and some of the broadcasting code stuff. In fact, it's interesting, you, Pete's talking about partnering with Channel 4. They were in talks with Channel 4 for quite a long time about doing some some sort of, you know, like a vice-branded block on Channel 4, some vice-branded documentaries for quite complicated reasons that I haven't quite been able to get to the bottom of it. They weren't able to make that deal work. And I think part of that was the techniques and the infrastructure and the requirements of television against their sort of ethos. I wonder if it was actually Channel 4 wanting to be risky and then as soon as Vice came to them with some risky ideas, they they sort of backed away. You sort of think that that you know the the Channel 4 call for anarchic edgy shows is is great on paper, but I wonder when someone like Vice actually comes to you with these ideas whether that you can you can pull it off. He uh, he had quite a good line. He said we don't want to say, make the same mistake that MTV did running this big international network and 
shove my Super Seat 16 down everybody's throats. Um, so he wants to go local. He's, you know, he's talking about doing the local versions of all of these shows in all of these different markets. Mm. The question is, you can be anarchic on the web because you're unregulated, you know, and that, that was part of the appeal, I think, for Jeremy Clarkson and but that's Co. changed this week, hasn't it? There has been reports, I think there was a report in the Telegraph this week that said that because Amazon now has a presence here in the UK, um, that new show, whatever it's going to be called, will be subject to regulation from Ofcom. Um, that is because in the last two weeks, Ofcom has bought Atvod, which is the online regulator right, okay. in-house. The wider point is, will Vice be able to preserve what's made it different and exciting and interesting when it moves into linear TV? And it may well be able to, but it was not going to be as straightforward just as bringing those brand values across and off, off we go again. Are they going to work with it? They were, they were on linear TV in the States with HBO and, and they still managed to be be relatively uh, relatively edgy on their HBO series. I know that's premium television, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be interesting to see how they give it a go. So on to some other headlines from the last fortnight. Uh, first up, the departures of BBC Director of Television Danny Cohen and Sky Entertainment boss Stuart Murphy in the space of a week. Uh, Two of the UK industry's biggest cheeses have decided to pursue other ambitions, possibly outside of TV. Cohen is understood to have courted interest in the US, uh, while Murphy has emphasised his love of theme parks and classical music when asked what his future holds. Obviously a loss of uh, two of the biggest personalities in the business. Uh, Should we start with Cohen, uh, who's leaving the BBC after eight years? Some questions about the timing of this. But um, no great surprise. I think there was quite a few rumours, wasn't there, that he was uh, he was off. Yeah, the rumours had been flying around for a little while. The actual timing of it, I don't think people knew it was going to happen that week, that day, kind of thing. But but there'd been there'd been talk about it. There is a bit of a feeling that Danny is leaving at a time when the charter renewal job is sort of at best half done. But I also think you know it's not beholden on him, one individual, to protect the BBC. I mean, there are many, many other senior execs at the corporation who can who can do that job. I think it's partly that he's done a good job at protecting the BBC. He's been one of the most vocal sort of supporters. And, Part um, of the Lovey's letter, I should just say, which was probably a bit of a faux, faux pas. Yeah, a bit of an own goal on, on that one. But, you know, he's got up, I think one of the things that Danny... Uh, over the years has sort of grown into his role and he now connects really well I think with the creative community and the the production community and so I think that there there was a sense that the creative community production community felt like he was kind of their representative in the in the fight James Pennell very talented smart guy coming from a political background uh, you know a political operator doesn't quite feel part of the TV industry in the same way so I can understand why people feel that uh, about the timing of Danny's departure but I also think you know you've got to cut the guy some slack he, he's done a pretty good job for a, a number of years and if he if he wants to to move on and explore some other opportunities then that's you know that's his prerogative he'd be fantastic to work for a US major corporation why why is that Pete uh, it's style the way these corporations work in the States, he would just fit in perfectly. I can see that being quite a nice nice fit. He's a, he's a good operator, isn't he? Yeah. And what do we make of Tom Archer's comments this week about commissioning being the uncreative crust of the TV industry and Danny Cohen contributing to that in quite a major way? <laughs> uh, I mean, look, there's a perfectly good debate to be had about commissioning and the centralisation of power and commissioning and top-down commissioning, all that sort of stuff. I don't really see Danny Cohen as the, the the root cause of all evil when it comes it to... It feels like there's a bit of a personal issue there. Yeah, I mean, Tom's made some um, some points about 
about commissioning previously and I think you know there is definitely a debate there's a debate around how many tastemakers there are in British television and, and how things have changed over the years but a you have to be careful of not just doing oh it was it was better back in the day you know when if things are to be you know if people are to be believed then commissioners just went off and ordered what the hell they like without any sort of joined up strategy coming from controllers whatsoever and b the modern world is what the modern world is, and I don't see things changing very rapidly. So I sort of think you've got to kind of work with what you've got. Was Danny Cohen personally responsible for more bureaucracy and commissioning at the BBC? I find that sort of hard to, yes. to, to see. Well, Danny always says that uh, you know Tom worked at the BBC for some time and never raised these issues when he was in turn. <laughs> when he was in turn up the corporation. Uh, anyway, uh, Broadcast has reported this week that Danny's director of television role uh, could become director of content. Uh, overseeing TV, radio and online. Now, this is an interesting shift uh, given some of the broader ambitions maybe to move towards genre commissioning, whereby genres become more important than platforms, potentially. Yeah, I mean, some of the pieces are starting to fall into place a little bit in terms of um, uh, the wider vision commissioning by genre across all platforms and that role uh, being given a, a wider remit. I think there's still quite a lot of work for BBC to do and I think... Um, you'll know, Jake, how Emma Swain's on this 12 months to comment doing this piece of work. Yes. Project King. Project King, but she's probably got still some months left on that. It's been, it's not, yes. you know. The, the original ambition was to do 12 months. Yeah. Um, and we're, what, about eight months into that? Yeah, so uh, we'll have to sort of wait and see for the for the conclusions. I guess that'll be into, into springtime. But every um, organisation needs to evolve and change. And this is clearly a time where the BBC is doing a big piece of work, trying to future-proof itself on lots of different levels. And um, this uh, commissioning, uh, potential commissioning restructure is one of those elements. OK, let's move on to Stuart Murphy. Uh, Pete Asher-Taller told you this week uh, that Stuart rose to the top of Sky, uh, and that makes me love our industry even more. He's a creative maverick, isn't he, and a, a, a very popular figure. Absolutely, yeah. Ash's point with he wasn't just a wasn't just a suit. Uh, yeah, he's incredibly popular within the industry. I think he talks a good game. He's very frank. He's very good at, at connecting with indies. They like him. He get back to people. Um, so yeah, he's a very popular guy in that. And he's good good with talent. Good with uh, good with producers. Um, and he's done a great job at Sky. If you look at what he's done over the, over the last six years, um, he's really changed that from a from a station or a, a, you know a, an operator that only really had a handful of things terry pratchett dramas or or the villa and ibiza uncovered to to something that's grown into a, a proper commissioning uh, force um, you know he talks about shows like a league of their own and an immediate broad and, and their shows that any terrestrial uh, broadcaster would love to have on so he's done a great job he's uh, his future's a uh, a bit interesting. He sort of said he, you know, he might leave TV or, you know, he's actually looking at, at opportunities outside. Um, theme parks. Theme parks. He wasn't, <laughs> Which I find slightly out of it. He wasn't joking when he said he really likes Alton Towers and wouldn't mind giving something like that a go. Um, well, they could do with some leadership, couldn't they? Uh, well, quite. I think uh, I think they could use uh, could use that, exactly. Um, so, yeah, he's sunning himself on a, a, a beach in the French Caribbean at the moment, probably figuring out which of... Uh, which of those roles he'd uh, he'd like to do, but and then, and then he's going to sort of he's written a comedy, so you never know he might uh, might flip back on the other side if that's a success. I'm sure he won't have any trouble getting meetings with comedy commissioners. I think he's uh, <laughs> I think he's safe in that. Uh, and Gary Davy, 
Uh, tell us about him. So he's a he's a new figure at Sky. He's a he's a bit of a a, a fox a stalwart. He's he ran Sky Deutschland for a while. He's sort of seen to be in in Murdoch's uh, inner inner circle. Um, one of these heavy hitting Australians that Murdoch likes to surround himself by. Uh, he's quite a quiet fella. Uh, quite a, an intelligent bloke. Um, doesn't have a particular focus on content, which I think means that that the shift given that Stuart did and, and even Sophie did to a, to a certain extent, I think it'll mean those those commissioners, whether that's Adam McDonald or Zy Bennett and Phil Edgar Jones, all those those genre bosses like Celia and Anne and the, the the new comedy exec, which was sort of understood that's going to be hired soon, um, will have a bit more influence, a bit more power, a bit more control. Um, whether that stays around for the long term or whether they, they, they make a bit of a, a, a shift in the future to sort of uh, bring someone else in or, or, or to, to shake that up, I, I don't know. But but for the short term, I think those those guys will, will see a bit more. And just finally, I mean, the TV industry does feel like a poorer place or it will be a poorer place without these two, won't it? So it's interesting, isn't it? They're both big personalities. They're both very different kind of people. But uh, they keep us in good copy. I they would keep, say they keep us in good copy. I don't think we're going to be short of copy. I think that I'm sure that the industry <laughs> will refresh, and there'll be you know opportunities for 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 people to to sort of step up. Even when there are even when there isn't you know direct replacements, there's still you know there's a constant stream of people. TV was built on characters no. back in the day. You you know you've got eccentric people running television, and and Stuart sort of feels like one of the last eccentrics. That's is Gary Davy an eccentric? Uh, Gary <laughs> Davy is not an eccentric. He's a very smart man, but but Stuart in you know is part of that that, that lineage of uh, of slightly strange fellas running TV. That is undoubtedly true. I don't think you'd look at Sky's output over the Stuart Murphy tenure and say it was very obviously the output of some creative maverick. I mean, I don't think that Trolley and Mount Pleasant are are shows that could only have been commissioned by um Yonderland the, and this is Jinsey Mike. Yeah. So there's a couple of, there's a there's a couple of things, but I think you can point to those sort of things at, at other networks. I don't know. I think that I think Sky's done been successful under Stuart and I think the best thing he's done is create that culture. I still think that there are opportunities. Given that Sky One is channel number six in eleven million homes in the UK I think that it can it can still work hard to sort of punch its weight a little bit, and I think you have to absolutely take your hat off to Stuart and to his t- the team he's put together at Sky and say, look at the incredible progress they've made. But they won't be seeing it as a, a as an endpoint. They haven't arrived at where they where they want to get to. I don't think. Okay, next up quickly, Channel Five gets tough on indies that don't qualify for terms of trade. Uh, the commercial broadcaster has written to companies, including All Three Media and Endemol Shine Group, uh, explaining that it will demand half the rights to shows it has commissioned. Uh, Pete, you've been following this. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, it's sort of come at a strange time because it, it, it's come at the same time as a, a slightly wider terms of trade review, which I think Channel 5, they were doing this piece of work anyway. They were going to get tough with the non-qualifying indies anyway. It's just happened to, to come at this time. They say it's a discussion, it's a negotiation, but the, the starting point is 50% of the back end, which is which is a huge leap from, from what they tend to offer at the moment. And then some of those terms, there's a few sort of uh, smaller things that they're looking for. It'll be interesting to see how those super indies and those big groups uh, react whether they still take some of those ideas I looked at Channel 5's last 100 commissions and, and 28 of them were, were produced by non-qualifying indies so it's a, it's a big chunk About of their third, then, really. yeah it's a big chunk of their output and actually some of their bigger shows if you look at, at things like 10,000 BC and, and a lot of the stuff that Princess makes for them and a few other things so it is a, it's a big 
part of their output. So whether that scares off the Super Indies, I'm not sure. They haven't gotten quite as far as Viacom might have gone. I think a few people feared that when Viacom bought Channel 5, they would do what they did in the States and, and they'd want a complete buyout of shows. They'd want to own everything. Um, so they haven't quite gone as far as that, but I don't think you could do that in the UK. So what's their position on terms of trade? They agree with Channel 4's position in terms of trying to protect the small and medium-sized indies. They're, they're doing that piece of work at the moment. I think they do generally... Uh, support it they don't want to rip it up that was the the phrase that they used to me but um, I do think they want a, a few changes to the to the overall system mm, so not great news for Pact really I mean that's that's no, two I mean, two of the big commercial broadcasters so when you look at it the BBC was making noises about terms of trade and has gone a bit quieter probably because they've got other things on their plate at the moment ITV are sort of staying out of the debate Crozier at Cambridge was very much we're we're happy with with how things are Channel 5 now is the closest of the, of the other PSBs to Channel 4 and, and they're talking similarly about some sort of mechanism that links back end to the size of the, of the operator. In their initial submission to the PSB review, they, they were sort of talking about uh, SMEs and, and, and using a sort of EU law definition uh, of that. So that, you know, if you look at the wider terms of trade debate, Channel 4 and Channel 5 are going to be pushing for some sort of mechanism that says if you're a big operator um, but you qualify for the terms of trade, that what you receive should not be the same as if you are a small uh, I feel like operator. Channel 5 are being clearer than Channel 4. So Channel 4 have been talking about it for longer, but there's still... I mean, one of the things that Pact is frust- super frustrated about is that C4 has been talking about this for such a long time and there's still not quite a cards-on-the-table position. They haven't really said what their mechanism is. What they they clearly believe it's all a bit shadowy, don't they? Pact, you mean? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, think, I think they want Channel 4 to come out and say, here's our proposal, and then it can be held up to, to scrutiny. Both those broadcasters, C4 and C5, are saying we want to protect small indies. That's a key message coming from out of them. But Pact is suspicious of that and doesn't quite understand. And I think some of the small indies aren't aren't quite clear on how what the narrative for their company is. If as they grow and get bigger, they then have to cope with uh, less attractive uh, terms. So I think there's some some confusion on that. But you know what, we're coming to a head with this t- terms of trade sort of debate has been rumbling for some time. It feels like over the coming, you know, as we move into 2016, and certainly when Ofcom does its piece of work, they're trying hard to get it out before Christmas. We're moving towards a position where there'll be some decisions and we'll some get resolution. a bit of clarity. Okay. Yeah. Uh, last but not least, our Commissioner of the Fortnight. Uh, this week, our steamed gong goes to a spun gold pilot for the BBC. Uh, the Indy is adapting Beat My Guest, a Dutch concept that mixes elements of Come Dine With Me and The X Factor by helping four contestants host a singing contest in their own homes over the course of a week. Uh, Pete, you a little bit across this, aren't you? Yeah. It's, uh, it's an international format that's being piloted by the BBC. It's essentially Come Sing With Me. It was originally created by a Dutch firm or a Dutch pair, um, but was actually first produced in France by a company called Reservoir Productions for W9, which is one of their uh, digital free-to-air channels. And it's being distributed by a company called Lineup Industries, which is a, a relatively new firm set up by a, for- a couple of former Vendemore guys. Um, they were pitching in a MIPCOM. It's interesting that it's another international format for, for the BBC. Yes. That's a curious, uh, curious decision. Timing of that's not great, is it's it? It's probably not ideal. 
ideal. The, the, the fact that voice and uh, other international formats are coming under scrutiny. No, it's probably not ideal for for that narrative. But then that's you know that that's the way of the world. If you look at what's being pitched at the moment, you know a lot of these shows are things that have come out of uh, other parts. Of Does the world. it sound like a good show? <laughs> As I said, it sounds like "Come Sing with Me," Chris. Yeah. When uh, I read this out to to my other half, she said, that sounds rubbish. <laughs> Not that she's any authority on, well, it's on, it's on a, TV formats. It's <laughs> a good thing that uh, Gemma isn't uh, commissioning for BBC Daytime. Um, I think it would be a shame if there was a black and white situation that meant the BBC was not able to bring in foreign formats. Um, and I think it's really easy to forget that over the years, Dragon's Den, The Apprentice... Stalwart BBC uh, properties are, are overseas format. I didn't hear anyone, you know, raging against Dragon's Den being a Japanese format many, many, many years ago. So I think the BBC needs to tread carefully, but it'd be a shame if they felt like they couldn't buy in a, an overseas idea. OK, that's your news for this episode. Thanks to Pete and Chris. Up next, you may know him as Slave Grumio in ITV2 comedy Plebs, but in his new show for the channel, he's very much the master of all he sees. Uh, yes, Ryan Sampson has teamed up with Talkback to make genre-bending sketch prank show Glitchy, where his characters dupe members of the public into appearing on fake TV shows. Along the way, he sends up some telly favourites, with spoofs including Britain and Ireland's next top hand model, 24 hours in a phone box, and embarrassing personalities. Talkback boss Leon Wilson will tell us all about the series in a moment. But before that, here's a clip from the first episode. Here, Sampson and Colin Holt pretend to be a married couple hosting a property show. Yeah, just chat amongst yourselves for about five minutes. So what do you think of the house? Um, I feel like it's a good space to kind of put our things and... Yeah, the kitchen was really good. I could see us cooking in there. Instead of being too small, we couldn't prepare anything. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, uh, the lounges. <laughs> you can't hear it in that clip, but their faces... In yeah. A, I mean, such a genuine reaction you capture from both of those participants. They were a dream uh, couple in that regard. They gave such good reactions. Yeah. It was amazing. She in particular was just looked so shocked all the time. I thought just... that, because that, that's the first sketch yeah. in the first episode, and you get it immediately from those fa- from their faces <laughs> just because it's, it's such a genuine reaction. Well, they Brilliant. obviously, they really thought they were on a property show. They, yeah. they, they'd recently got here from Australia a couple of months ago and they were, they're looking for someone to live. And uh, we, you know, we, con- we I don't know how we made contact, whether they contacted us, we found them, but they thought we were going to find them a place to live and obviously they, they weren't. We were just kind of uh, playing with them a little yeah. bit. And, you know, and we, after, when we told them afterwards, they were... They weren't the most delighted. Some people find it really funny. They think, oh, that's a great, oh, God, oh, yeah, God, how stupid am I? Some people just refuse to sign and think you're, you know, and you have to then deal with that. Only a couple. And some people like them are a bit like, yeah, all right, you just wasted a morning of my life. <laughs> they were expecting Kirsty and Phil treatment. Exactly, yeah. They were thinking they were going to get in with a new house and, exactly, uh, yeah. and get ahead of the queue, basically. But with that one, only it's only a morning. We were with them for like five, six hours, something like that, you know. So it's not like I don't feel too bad, you know. And they weren't. They weren't too angry with us, thankfully. So I described it as genre bending. Was that was that always the intention? Do you think that's a fair characterisation? Yeah, it was trying to do a mix of a sketch show and a prank show, I guess, uh, with trying to create characters that had 
depth and have backstories uh, in some of the sketches. Uh, so they were almost bordering on mini sitcoms and then trying to drop real people into them uh, and thinking they're on a real TV show. I've been watching a show in America called Nathan For You on Comedy Central where it's kind of a, a character called Nathan Fielder. He's a, real, uh, he's a sort of business expert, but he's the worst business expert in the world and he gives people advice on how to turn their business around. And it's a brilliant show and I've, been, I've watched it and thought, could you do this on a sort of bigger scale in a way? Could you try and do it with lots of different types of TV shows? And we'd just done a pilot with Ryan Sampson, which uh, he was brilliant on, but the format didn't quite work. And then we had the thought of, well, let's create a show where there's lots of fake TV shows where Ryan plays lots of characters uh, that are kind of archetypes and stereotypes and new versions of existing TV stereotypes. And then we'll put real people in it and see how they react. So Ryan bought into that idea pretty quickly, did he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, we shot a taster. Um, we self-funded a taster about a year ago. And we shot Britain and Ireland's next top hand model, actually. That was one of the sort of... So we did a day with four people that really thought they had what it took to win, to win Britain's biggest hand job. Um, <laughs> and you know, and they, they, you know, Is that they, the way you build yeah, they, he says, you know, you, you, you win a job, Britain's biggest hand job, you win, uh, um, you'll get to host H. Samuel's new uh, uh, ring range or something like that. And we, we created a character, Ryan created a character with us called Antonio Dupre, who is the world's leading hand model. He's an American. He's flown over just for this show, like they do with Naomi Campbell coming over to host Britain Ireland's next top model. And he, He's an idiot, you know. He's but he's a, he's also a vicious, queeny, bitchy idiot in many ways. But he's also self believes he genuinely has the greatest hands in the world, and he's going to put our four people through a series of challenges on a day, and you know, uh, eventually one of them will get fingered, which means they will have to leave the competition. Um, <laughs> like so, there's a bit of Apprentice in there as well, I guess. And so the way we sort of shoot that, and that's the one that's in next week's show. That's there, but that's fine. That gets aired next week. So did you want to uh, always do a show with him that sort of uh, showed off his range to a certain yeah, well, extent? Yeah, we did. We did a pilot called Sicky, uh, which is kind of uh, where people had to take a day off work and then um, and then go into their own office and sort of do challenges in order to win a prize. And it was a really hard show to make. So we did a pilot for ITV2 and he was played all these different characters and he was brilliant, but the format didn't quite work. So we then thought, we've got to be something. He's such a brilliant talent. What else can we do with him? And then these thoughts came together and that's where the idea for the show came from. Oh, you work with some big talent. Keith Lemon, yeah. you also oversee QI with Stephen Fry. And yeah. How does he compare to those guys? I think Ryan is, you know, he's potential to be like another Lee Francis in many ways. He's got that level of talent. His involvement in this show was brilliant. Like, he was so dedicated to it. I've never known anyone, actually, from the moment he got commissioned, he was in the office the next morning at nine o'clock, and he worked for, like, 12-hour days, and every single day in the office, writing the scripts, coming up with the characters, workshopping it. And I think you've got to have that level of dedication, especially when you're sort of still starting out in some ways. I mean, Ryan's been around for five, six years, but it's at the point where he's becoming a star in his own right. And I think he's got the potential to be like you know around for the next 10, 20, 20 years, you know, at that level. And what was the pitch like to Angela, Angela Jane? Well, we because we had the taster. That's it was basically that. This is what we've made, and do you want it? We did. We did. We shot some other little thing. We did Mesmo, who's the street magician that steals things. We did here. He was in the original taster, and a couple of other little bits. And so that was kind of as simple as that. And you know, quite a few channels were interested in it. And that always helps. You know, we ITV2 were always our first choice because of the pilot we'd done with them and obviously Ryan being on plebs. But it was other channels are interested and that's quite a nice place to be when you're looking, trying to get a commission. How important is a taster tape these days? I mean, you hear I, it all the time. It's it, absolutely it, essential. Can you get a commission without a taster tape? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it will happen, but it's almost, it's almost not worth trying. 
I think. Obviously, some shows you might not be able to do a taste tape for because it's just, you know, the, the nature of the beast, like Space Cadets, for example, for the old Channel 4 show where they fooled everyone into thinking they're in space. That would be a hard show to do a taster for. Uh, but then even then, you could probably do some visual treatment that would sort of kind of give the idea, the flavour. Um, we've had, just had a show commissioned yesterday for, for next year, which we shot a taster for a year ago. So, you know, even with the taster, it can take a year to get something commissioned. You can't tell us about no, it. No, I can't. I can't. No, it's not <laughs> You're even. Sworn to yeah, yeah. It just, you know. But we shot this taster last October. We shot two tasters sort of back to back. This one and the other one. The Ryan one's already now on air. The other one's taken a year. I think it's pointless trying without a taster, really. And talk to us about the, the, the sort of challenge of making this because it must have been quite tough to keep up the illusion. And then, as, as you hinted earlier, to get them to sign release forms yeah. at the end. Yeah, it was everyone on the on the show everyone making the show effectively had to go to work every day pretending to be a different type of TV production so you know and that's kind of there's a difference between a drama director or a, a, a property show director or a you know quiz show director say. so the director always had to be a different type of person and then everyone else had to sort of become, become like the way that people in telly would work on those shows to kind of create a world that was that was believing with your head a bit yeah it was a bit yes there was a day we i did i went to a shoot for a day in um where was it derby where it's called it's in the last episode it's uh, called andreas kaufman's workplace revolution and he's a german brutalist designer that is doing a makeover of like people's businesses in a kind of mary porter's type style but he's a german brutalist so he turns these people's cafe into like a sort of a minimalist, sort of stark, brutal hellhole in some ways, <laughs> and, uh, because he believes in stark minimalism and all this sort of stuff. And, and I had to sort of become. I was there on the day thinking, I have to sort of. What would a person that makes these shows be like? I wouldn't be like me. I wouldn't be laughing all the time. I'd be quite a serious individual as a producer. If I really produced this show, I would be probably quite. So you're serious. playing characters. As yeah. Well. So everyone on the production had to sort of play a character, and then at the same time, and then we learnt when we tell the people at the end of the day that this wasn't a real TV show. It was really interesting. The reaction. Some people say were found it very funny and got it straight away. And went, oh yeah, God, I've has. And other people didn't. And, and we learned the best way to tell people is to tell people in stages. So we didn't just say it's all been fake. We sort of said, oh, by the way, Brian's not really German. He go, I'm not really German. Oh, and the show's not really a show. And, and it, telling people in little bits over the course of 10 minutes seemed to work much better. People didn't get so angry. Did a lot of people say no? No, very few. Uh, I think three or four over the series. And how many how many stunts did you do? Oh, about we did sort of six main big hits. This is the ones with with all day long with Ryan, like doing a whole show, and then we did probably about another fifteen sort of smaller things that build build around those. So I think fifty two people in all we we had to get permission from, and I think about three or four didn't sign. Okay, and 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 the shows you're sending up, you're doing it in an affectionate way, aren't you? Yeah, it doesn't feel. Cat, uh, sort of catty or uh, no it's not uh, trying to make a huge point about television it's trying to have fun with the sort of uh, genres and conventions and sort of st- things that are happening in television at the moment it's not trying to be rude about any of the formats a lot of the formats we've done we love <laughs> shows and similarly it's not trying to be r- cruel to the people in them necessarily it's not like a prank show it's like ha ha look at you and that's why i think most people are happy to sign because really the joke was on the the ryan's character or Colin or Gabby or Ellie, the other sort of supporting cast. It's on them rather than on the contributor. Yeah. And uh, obviously you launched... Ratings were, you know, not spectacular, no. if you don't mind me saying. <laughs> no, it's quite um, right. No, they, were, they weren't huge. Um, and, you know, I think that I didn't expect them to be huge, if I'm being honest, because it's a difficult proposition maybe for ITV2 audience. We make Celebrity Juice for uh, ITV2. We make Keith Levin sketch shows. So we know what works that audience traditionally. Uh, it's a slightly different proposition, and I think it will take 
hopefully people will come to it and I think it may just take a couple of weeks for people to sort of work out what the show is and hopefully word of mouth people talk about these things and sort of go did you we've got some really really great stunts because it feels quite up. Channel 4 in a, in, a, in a way yeah I've had a commissioner at Channel 4 email yesterday saying well, this should be on our <laughs> Why channel didn't you <laughs> <this>? <laughs> no we did they were like, this should be on our channel and I went well you know that was the decision we made we've got a really good relationship with ITV2 and they were great in the process of making it I knew by going with them that they would let us do what we wanted to a certain extent, you know, and I think that having that ability, you know, we really had a clear idea what we wanted the show to make to be. Ryan did especially as well. He wanted this to be not a cruel prank show. And I think that ITV2 were, the, the part of the reason we went with them is because I knew having got a good relationship with them, that they would support us and let us sort of do what we really wanted to do, which is quite rare in television nowadays. Yeah. You know, a lot of time you're being managed quite full on. And not that's not to say the commissioners weren't involved, but they really supported everything we wanted to do with the show. It, even coming down to naming it Glitchy, which is kind of a crazy name to call it. You know, w- at one point it was called the Ryan Sampson TV shows. And it was actually ITV's decision to not call it that because we and collectively we felt that it maybe exposed Ryan a bit too much. It made it harder to make the show in the future if we if we got f- f- uh, subsequent series. And um, so then we decided to call it something that was just a random word almost. And that's rare. Channels normally don't like that. And the fact that Angela and Kate let us call it that, I think it says a lot about them, the fact they're willing to sort of take the risk on the show. And you'd be quite keen to emphasise the ensemble, ensemble cast the ensemble around The ensemble cast, Colin Holt is fantastic, Ellie White, Gabby Best, they're the sort of main three supporting actors, and they're all fantastic actors. Um, and, you know, I'm, and also the, the, what I would like to say, the team, it's not a sh- we had a couple of writers work on the show, but really a lot of the ideas came from the team. I'm a big believer in the fact that the production team, every, the best idea wins. So from the runner to the researchers, the producer to the production manager, if anyone's got an idea. And so a lot of the ideas in this come from everyone. And I think, I, you know, I like, I like that. It doesn't fit. It's not a show that's written by one writer, and I think it's actually stronger for it. And how's things generally at Talkback? You're doing a second series of Keith's sketch show, Keith aren't you? Sketch show. We're filming that at the moment. We've been filming for about three or four weeks. We've shot our big fat Gypsy Kardashian sketch. We did that a couple of Which weeks ago. Which is popular, isn't it? So that's one of the big ones. This series, Kim has a baby. She gets pregnant. And so we see what happens with that whole world is, you know, on, on the Gypsy campsite. Yeah. Well, good luck with that and the rest of Glitchy, uh, which you. continues next Tuesday at 10pm on ITV2. Previews time now, and back on the talking TV sofa is Chris Curtis and Peter White. Uh, we will start with Class of 92 out of their league. Uh, Electric Ray's two-part BBC One documentary following five Manchester United legends as they become the owners of non-league side Salford FC. Uh, in this clip, Gary Neville and his co-owners are incredulous after finding out their management team are on holiday during pre-season. Right, go on, Karen, fire away. Right, a bit of a... Well, you may think it's a bit of an issue... Uh, I only found out on one day that the two managers are off for two friendlies at the same time, and one of them's the Berry game. It's quite a big anyway. game, that, though, for them both to be yeah. away, isn't it? And now they're bringing a proper team, aren't they, Berry? Yeah, they're bringing a strong team. Did they not speak to each other like before the Butler holidays? Well, it's ridiculous. Phil said everyone knew when his holidays were. They need to take it serious, don't they? New owners have come in and you've gone on holiday. Like, that takes some balls, that does. Once the season starts, that's it. You don't get a holiday till the following June. Uh, so three football fans in the studio, which probably helps when watching this. Pete, you liked it, didn't you? I, I thought it was brilliant, and as a Liverpool fan, I, I really didn't want to say that. But <laughs> um, yeah, I thought this was it was an absolutely cracking documentary. The access is brilliant. Um, the story is really interesting. The the story of these these guys, Gary Neville, Paul Scholes, Phil Neville, 
Icky Butt and, and Ryan Giggs buying a buying a small football club and and trying to turn it around with the with the sort of uh, almost farcical nature that, that they've been presented with. Um, it, it's 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 beautiful. Um, there's there's some documentaries. We don't do sports documentaries that 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 often in in the UK. Things like ESPN in the States does this thirty for thirty mm. series, and this sort of feels like this sort of top notch A list uh, doc that really really um, really shines through. So yeah, I thought it was I thought it was a fantastic story. BBC One did Wayne Rooney recently as well, and this feels in a similar vein. This feels slightly less of a PR job. This feels slightly more <laughs> that it's an actual story rather than Wayne Rooney's yeah, decided got to, to, say, to talk. They? Yeah, um, yeah. There's, there's. Uh, you know, I, I absolutely will watch the watch the second episode of this as well. I think, uh, I think we need to do more of these kind of shows. Great access, really good access. I thought it was good. I thought it was almost brilliant. Almost brilliant. There were um, so. What's great about it is, you know, you get a clue actually in the title. It's called out, you know, out of their league. So it's kind of about these four relatively sort of dour northern guys who happen to be multi-millionaires and fantastic footballers. And there's a kind of fish out of water thing where they they get confronted with the realities of non-league football, and that's interesting. Um, I wanted more. I wanted more. So there's a bit in it where um, they. Um, they changed the logo of the club and they changed the club shirt colours. Um, and the local paper just uh, it compares them to Vincent Tan, who's the Cardiff City chairman, who did exactly the same thing. And when, when he did it at Cardiff, they're up in arms, this guy coming in with his new money and changing it. And that got completely swept under the under the carpet in, the, in, in this dock. And, and they brushed it away. They said, oh, here we are, getting a bit of grief off the paper. And it wasn't really explored. But it builds to a head, the first part, uh, which ends with what would be potentially emotional, potentially confrontational scene that you don't get to see. I, I wanted a warts and all. I wanted to see that 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 scene. You saw the you saw the build up to it and the aftermath for it. Now maybe I'm asking for a bit too much, but those were the, those were the two things for me that I thought w- what I wanted more. What I would say is the tone is lovely. The mixture of humour and sort of pathos. Seeing the the class of '92 interact with one another—that's lovely. That I think they feel like mates still, yeah, you and you see get that. The, you, know, you get you that. Can see the genuine friendship there. You at get times, that sense. And and Gary Neville is just TV gold. To be honest, he's brilliant on Sky, and he's 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 absolutely great in this. He's first class talent, I think. On the back of this, you can see him doing other things beyond potentially beyond football. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too optimistic. Yeah, perhaps he's definitely the star of this. Uh, Phil comes across a bit strangely, and you don't, you don't see Nicky Butt at all. I don't think he says a word. Nicky Butt doesn't say a word. Paul Scholes mumbles a few things, although probably for the best that he's not on camera too often. And, and again, Ryan Giggs isn't, isn't in it that much. So yeah, you're right. Gary Neville is definitely the star of this. Okay, uh, let's move on. Class of '92 out of their league launches on the 29th of October at 9 p.m. on BBC One. Uh, next up is ITV's take on Robert Louis Stevenson's iconic novel, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, the book provides the grounding for a 10-part pre-Watershed drama created and written by Charlie Higson. Uh, set in 1930s London, Jekyll and Hyde draws inspiration from Indiana Jones and classic horror and gives its protagonist a superhuman swagger. Here, Robert Jekyll packs for his trip to London to confront his past. I have increased the dosage of your pills and made enough to last you eight weeks. That will be more than enough. I don't intend to stay in London any longer than I need. Robert? You will need a court. It will be called in England. I'd rather not go at all. You've always told me you know nothing about my real parents and... I was happy with that. Have you never been curious? It scares me. So, chaps, what do we make of this? I, I thought the 
opening moments were a bit clunky, but then it settles down and warms up. They're playing this pre-Watershed, right? They I are, think. 6.30, yeah. 6.30, okay. So that, that gives you a bit of context of what it is. It's, it's a bit melodramatic. It's remarkably scary for 6.30, I thought. And some of the, the, the clips and the trailers that, I, that I've seen, there's quite a lot of sort of supernatural and monsters in it. It's quite, it's quite sort of full on in, in that way. Lots of money. You can see the money on screen, certainly. You know, it looks slick. But I'd be lying if I said it was totally convincing. It, it's it's slightly camp. So Richard E. Grant's in it. Um, surprise, surprise! It's, a, it's, it's hamming it up it's, massively. It's a, bit, it's, it's, it's a bit camp. The lead is a relatively new actor. It's Tom it, Bateman. I thought he was good, actually. Mm, I was less no? less, less convinced. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's going after that sort of tea time romp audience. It was fun. I don't know that I'll be tuning in again, to be honest. I thought it was embarrassing. I thought this was absolutely, <laughs> you think, Pete. absolutely dreadful. I thought I, I can't remember watching a drama that was as bad as this in in some time. I thought, yeah, you say clunky. I mean, it, it was just so. It makes Penny Dreadful look, you know, like Breaking Bad. It was just some of the worst acting I've seen. So the story, which is a traditional story, they've managed to ruin. It felt like it was made for the international market as well. It felt like it was sort of well, pieced, is, <laughs> pieced together. Yeah, but you've got to make a, you know, you've got to have a success in in the UK before you can actually take something out. It feels like it was it was safe. It was felt like it was made for to to try and make some distribution money rather than to actually create a, an interesting story. So no, I, I definitely won't be tuning in. Yeah, but seeing it with those goggles, you you know, because this goes right to the heart of ITV's content strategy, doesn't it? Create a long running drama that can return many 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 series and then sell it around the world that's exactly what this is isn't it yeah that's what they want to do but, but they need it to work over here fundamentally don't they to make that successful do. yeah and and um, whether it is a success over here i don't know but i i, I certainly won't be watching it i didn't think it was that bad <laughs> <laughs> i i was i went into it thinking it would be like you're describing but was pleasantly surprised i think I, I i genuinely did think it settled down i thought tom bateman was excellent actually i you know i thought he was surprising given that he's a reasonably unknown actor and charlie higson the creator talked about the difficulty casting for that role uh, in a piece of broadcast this week uh, saying that they were looking for someone to play the bumbling sort of Brit to be Dr Jekyll and this sort of menacing force to be Mr Hyde. They managed to find lots of actors who could do the bumbling Brit very well and no one who could do the other side of it. But Tom managed to pull that off and I think he does. And I like his Mr Hyde with his sort of swagger and uh, he's not as gruesome as the original, the book, obviously, but... Uh, no, he's a good... Yeah. He's a, Big, strong, good-looking guy, and they they put some mascara on him to, to indicate <laughs> yeah. that he's he's turned into. He, his... he goes a bit emo, doesn't he? <laughs> he goes a bit. He goes a bit My Chemical Romance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think Charlie Higson should have stuck to uh, being in a punk band. <laughs> okay, I don't think we're going to agree on that chap. So Jekyll and Hyde launches on Sunday at six thirty p.m. on ITV, uh, and that's your lot for this episode. Big thanks to my guests Leon Wilson, Chris Curtis, and Peter White. I've been Jake Cantor, and the producer was Matt Hill. See you in a couple of weeks. You've been listening to Broadcast, talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 